what a story from the life of the early church let's pray and so we can discover what um, is in it for us God um, wow ah, what a story sometimes when we read stories like this and we look at our own lives and our own circumstances um, it, you know it, it can be discouraging in a way because um, we've, we've just been exposed to just how bold and courageous um, the apostles were um, how they were mistreated how they were arrested but still they continued um, to passionately proclaim your word and to continue your mission and so God when we look at them we will look at ourselves we feel like cowards um, we feel like man if we were in this situation what would we do I, personally I would just, you know I would not want to do anything I'd be scared I'd run I'd go into hiding but God, may their boldness, Father, um, that you gave them is available for us. And it's available for us because of your Holy Spirit, who you have given um, to us who obey you. And so, God, I pray that you would give us confidence. But I pray specifically as we look at this story, may we not just look at the apostles and how courageous we are and how courageous we need to be. But, God, may we look at you because you are the one. Um, that is orchestrating and empowering us to continue your mission and if you empowered them you can empower us and so open up our eyes help us see you and help us know you in Jesus name we pray amen amen all right you got your bibles you got your notepads all right let's do this so last week um, we looked at how God was doing um, eye-opening miracles of healing and deliverance in the life of the early church in Jerusalem and as we look at it it was really something wasn't it it really was it was an exciting season for the church where God was working in a unique but in a powerful way but not everyone was happy with the success of the church um haters gone hate Right, he has gone hate, and so who were these haters? Look at verse 17. Um, it says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, a party of the Sadducees, filled with jealousy. And, and so, the religious authorities made up of the high priest and Pharisees and Sadducees were very unhappy with all the hype surrounding the early church. And so as they heard countless reports about the miraculous works being done by the apostles and the rapid growth of the church, did you notice in verse 17 how they felt about it? Did you notice it? It says that they were filled with jealousy. Now, the Greek word used here for jealousy has a slightly different meaning to how we normally use it or define it. When you and I say someone is jealous, what we mean is is what we mean is the negative feeling we get when we resent another person because they have something we really want. Okay, so oh my God, she's so pretty. I'm so jealous of her. Oh, look at that car. I really want that car. And because I can't have it and someone has it, I'm really jealous of them. And so that's how we normally use it. But the religious authorities were not jealous in the same way. Okay, 
Um, it said that behind the this meaning of jealousy, the way they were jealousy, stands an Old Testament and Jewish tradition of zeal for the law, the temple, and the honor of God. Here, the high priest and the Sadducees are ready to resort to violence to squash this new movement that they perceive to be a threat to the honor of God. And so the religious leaders are jealous um, because they believe Christianity is a threat to the traditional religious beliefs of that culture. They feel Christianity is a movement that is leading people astray. And so they're jealous in a protective way. Okay, They're the defenders of the Jewish faith and so want to protect the people from this controversial new way of thinking. But the irony is they were deceived. They thought they were defending God when in fact they were opposing him. And so motivated by this zealous, protective, deceptive jealousy, what action do they take? Look at verse 18. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. And so with heavy chains fastened around their wrists and ankles, the apostles find themselves in a cold, dark prison cell. As they sat in the cell, wondering what was going on, Little did they know that God was about to do a miracle unlike anything they've seen before. That very night, through an intervention from an angel, the apostles escape from prison. Okay, let's read it in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. An angel. This is the first time um, an angel has appeared um, in the book of Acts. If you um, know your Bible well, in the Old Testament, there were times when angels would appear um, before Jesus was born. An angel appeared. And, and so this is kind of like the first time after all of that, after Jesus' ascension, then an angel appears. Okay, And so after this miraculous escape, the angel tells them something they probably were not expecting. Look at what he tells them in verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The angel basically tells them to go and do the very thing that got them arrested in the first place. What do you think they did after this? How do you think they responded? Well, the beginning of verse 21 reveals to us that the apostles did what the angels told them to do. They went into the temple area and continued to tell everyone about the life that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. As they were in the temple sharing the gospel, the religious authorities at the same time are in a meeting discussing what to do with the apostles. After they agree on a strategy, what they do is they send for the apostles to be brought from the prison to stand trial. When the officers assigned with the task of getting the apostles arrived at the jail, everything seems fine. Everything seems fine. The prison doors are locked. The guards are alert and in position. But when they open the prison door, they are shocked to find that the apostles are missing. They have escaped. 
how did this happen? How were they able to escape without being seen or heard? They probably inquired. They didn't know. And so after thoroughly searching the prison without any luck, finding the apostles, they returned to the religious authorities and shared the news of the miraculous escape. When they hear the news, they were very confused and didn't know what to think or do. And so as they processed this phenomenon, an angel, um, no, an unnamed person enters the room and informs them that the apostles have been found not in hiding, but in public, at the temple, teaching the people. As soon as the authorities hear this, they rush to the temple, and lo and behold, they find the apostles preaching to an audience, basically doing the very thing they warned them not to do. And so what do they do? They arrest them again. Look at verse 27 and 28. And when they had brought them, um, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled with Jerusalem you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Knowing that whatever they say will be used against them, you would expect the apostles to choose their words carefully and take more of a diplomatic approach to this. But they don't. They're more committed to speaking the truth rather than saving their lives. Fearless in the face of opposition, Peter and the apostles respond um, to the aggression of the authorities with a declaration of their unwavering commitment to God and his gospel. Look at what they say um, from verse 29 to 32. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. While the sight of the apostles being unfairly inter interrogated may be distressing. Even more sinister was how the Jewish leaders reacted. With every word Peter uttered, it felt to them like they were being pricked with a sharp object. The religious leaders were extremely offended and disgusted by everything the apostles said. And as their anger flared, the idea of killing the apostles right then and there was becoming very appealing. But again, what happens next is a twist in the plot. Something happens out of the blue that saves their lives. A few hours ago, it was an angel helping them escape from prison. But this time, it will be an opponent, okay? Someone, an outsider who uses his influence to help them avoid death. Who was this guy? Verse 34 is a brief bio of the guy. His name is Gamaliel. Um, he was one of the few religious teachers the people adored. He was well respected among his peers in his day. He was a sage-like leader whose words carried great weight. 
And as he observed his fellow leaders um, interrogating the apostles, what he noticed was that they were beginning to take action based on emotion rather than a well thought out plan. And so what does he do? He makes an interesting observation and a compelling suggestion. He appeals to his peers to proceed with caution. In verses 35 to 37, he gives examples of movements that fizzled out after the leader died. And then what he does is he concludes his speech in this way. Look at verse 38 and 39. He says, so in the present case, um, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan of or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Verse 39, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. In other words, um, his advice to them is, hey, we've seen this over and over again. When leaders of movements are killed, um, followers tend to give up. In the same way, if Jesus was a man like one of these, what these men are doing will soon fall apart. But if God is behind this, try as you might, we will not be able to stop it. And worst, we may actually find ourselves opposing God in the process. And so the council listened to this. They um, appear to be unsettled at first, but 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 his suggesting, um, you know, they become open to it because of his reputation. And so after. I'm sure an open and frank conversation. They accept his counsel and look at verse 40. Um, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And let me just point out um, that the apostles received a really severe beating. When we see beating here, we just think, yeah, you know, they kind of punched them a little, used their fist. But the Greek word used here for beat literally means to flay skin, right? Literally means to flay skin. And so this punishment wasn't done with fists, but they were beat with a whip designed to rip open the skin and leave severe marks. It was an excruciating punishment indeed. What happens next has always been mind-boggling for me. Look at how the apostles respond in verse 41 and 42. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer this honor for the name. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Did you guys catch that? Are we reading the same Bible? Are we? It's incredible. Surprisingly, the apostles, after being severely beaten, leave the presence of the council, not discouraged, not bitter and angry, but it says they are filled with joy because they were given the honor of suffering this honor for Jesus. And guess what? They were not only filled with joy, but they continued to fill the city of Jerusalem with their teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, 
they actually went back to do the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. What a story from the life of the early church. And we've been treated to some awesome stories, but what a story. So much for us to learn, so much for us to apply to our lives as God's people committed to God's mission in San Diego. But with so many themes to apply in this story, um, there's one in particular that stands out above the rest. And I think the overarching theme in this story is not the courage of the disciples or the deception of the religious authorities, but I think the overarching theme, the authorial intent in this story is that God is unstoppable and because he's unstoppable, his mission is unstoppable. This whole theme is the major theme that all the other themes flow from. This story reminds us that we serve an unstoppable God on a mission that is unstoppable. In this age of COVID-19 where there is so much wrong with the world, I think COVID is uncovering a lot, so much of the brokenness that already existed in the world. There's so much division, people's motives are beginning to be um, exposed, all of that, all right? And in this season, you all would agree that we absolutely need Jesus, okay? We need Jesus. Everybody needs the hope of Jesus. And so as we think of the mission of God, um, if you're like me, I have had times where I have thought, how is the gospel going to continue to advance in this age? It just doesn't seem possible. But when we read stories like this, it reminds us that we as a church, Kingscross Church, every member of this church, every member of other churches, we're involved in a mission that cannot be stopped because it's driven by a God who is unstoppable. Nothing can thwart his plans and purposes. And so with this overarching theme in mind, um, allow me to offer you a few insights from this story. First, the first one is if you're making notes, as we participate in God's unstoppable mission, we must expect hostility. We must expect hostility. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but hostility towards Christianity is not going away anytime soon. Christians have and will continue to encounter hostility of all kinds as we remain committed to knowing Jesus and making him known. As the church, as the early church grew in popularity and influence, the religious authorities of that day became more and more hostile towards them. Earlier in Acts, um, um, they, the apostles were arrested because they were apparently breaking the law by teaching in the temple without permission. And now they are arrested um, because of jealousy, um, because of the deception of the religious authorities, thinking that this new movement is a threat to their religious traditional um, you know, um, religion. 
But I would say the real reason they were hostile towards the apostles um, wasn't because of jealousy. I think it was because of their allegiance um, to Jesus. Um, they hated Jesus when he was physically alive. And now they and now uh, they hate his people for continuing his mission, and this shouldn't come as a surprise. Why Jesus once said, "If they hate me, they'll also hate you." And so, Kings Cross Church, as long as we remain committed to Jesus and his mission, we will encounter hostility. Let me just say that again. As long as God has us on this earth, as long as we are passionately committed to God's mission, right, in San Diego, we will encounter hostility. We will encounter hostility maybe from friends or family or co-workers or government officials or other religions will become more and more hostile towards us and will do everything in their power to oppose our mission. I remember in my college days, that seems like a long time ago, okay, when I was in my second year of college um, and I became a Christian at that time. I remember experiencing hostility. I had a group of friends that I rolled with. I did everything with. We had like, you know, we thought we were really cool in college, but we really weren't. And what, you know, when I got saved, they noticed that I was a Christian. They noticed that I stopped doing the things that I used to do and everything like that. And suddenly they became hostile towards me. They started to mock me and call me all sorts of names. And so as a member of Jesus's church, right, you will encounter hostility. Um, and I don't know who or where it's going to come from, but know that you must expect it. All right. Number two, even though we're to expect hostility as we participate in God's unstoppable mission. Second, we're to be hopeful. We're to be hopeful even in trials. Um, as we continue to be a church family on mission with Jesus, all hell will break loose. We may um, lose our jobs because of Jesus. We may be disowned by family because of Jesus. Perhaps friends will unfollow us or send us hateful emails, whatever hostility we encounter, we can remain hopeful. Why? Because the trials and hardships we're facing because of our commitment to Jesus will always be an opportunity for God to prove how unstoppable he is and how resilient his church is. And this story, right, and in this story, God proved that nothing can stop his mission, right? By number one, sending an angel to mastermind the miraculous jailbreak. And then when the apostles were on the brink of death, what did he do? He worked through an influential member of the Sanhedrin to bring about another miraculous escape. Within 24 hours, the apostles witnessed God miraculously deliver them from jail and death. The power of God to deliver is what will give us hope when we fail, face trials. Now, as we talk about how we're to have hope, even in trials, because God's mission cannot be stopped, um, I'm sure some of you are asking the following question. 
What about the times where God has not delivered? What about the times where God has not delivered? The truth is, many of God's people on God's mission have not escaped jail or escaped death. In fact, many of our brothers and sisters experience ongoing persecution and death because of Jesus. God's unstoppable mission doesn't always result in escape from jail. It doesn't always result in escaping death. Sometimes there are no miraculous deliverance. Sometimes it ends in tragic death. In just the last year, um, there have been over 260 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. More statistics tell us that around 3,000 Christians um, are killed for their faith. 9,000 churches and other Christian buildings are attacked. Um, 4,000 believers are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced or imprisoned um, this last year alone. These numbers are heartbreaking. And so the question is, if all things are possible for God, and if he can deliver these Christians in the same way he delivered the apostles, why does he not do it? Why uh, have the lives of countless Christians ended in tragedy? Why hasn't God provided a way of escape for them? Um, I Charles Swindle here is helpful. What he says is this. He says, difficult as it is to understand, um, Jesus never promised his followers then or now that living in a fallen world would be easy or bring popularity. The fact is God may will for his people to live as poor as dirt, to suffer rejection and sorrow, to endure outrageous injustice and then die painfully, just like his own son and the apostles who followed him. God may not have promised us that living in a fallen world would be easy or make us popular. He hasn't promised us that. But what he has promised is that his mission cannot and will not be stopped and what's unique about God's unstoppable mission um, is that it's unstoppable like nothing not even death can stop his mission and we'll see later in Acts how the martyrdom of Stephen led to the scattering of the seed of the word of God um, recently my kids have been um, at home being homeschooled by my awesome wife um, by the way, Eleanor's awesome. She is amazing. <laughs> I just want to celebrate her. Um, and she's been doing her best to educate and entertain the kids. But they've been doing all these um, studies of nature and flowers. And I didn't know this, but now I know, courtesy of my kids, that dandelions, right? You know dandelions, those cute yellow flowers that are everywhere, especially in the springtime. Um, they are number one they are weeds yeah they look good but they're weeds <laughs> and number two 
they have this incredible ability to spread everywhere. And how dandelions grow everywhere is that they, you know, when, when they sprout and the flower comes, they turn into this kind of puffy thing. You know those things where you pick up and you blow? Um, they're dandelions that are dead, but they are seeds of dandelions. And so what happens is the wind and kids and adults pick them up and blow them everywhere. And what you're doing is scattering more dandelion seeds everywhere. Right. And that is just such a really good analogy of what we're talking about here in that where there seems to be death of a flower in fact that flower is multiplying itself it's scattering everywhere um, and we're going to see this in acts when the church is persecuted the church grows um, more and spreads wiser nothing not even death can stop the mission of god that's why we're to remain hopeful even in the worst of trials um, and if you have suffered because of your commitment to Jesus, um, what it is, um, you need to be assured that God is working. Um, God is at work in the most um, marvelous of ways. And it's hard to know it and it's hard to see it in the moment. Um, and I'm sure our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing intense persecution, some of them are struggling. They're questioning whether God exists and God is really as sovereign as he is, but just he is. And this is the truth we need to remind ourselves of and reflect on um, during this side of the hostility to come. Okay. Number three, as we engage in God's unstoppable mission, we'll be expected to express a commitment that is defiant, a commitment that is defiant. And we see this defiance um, modeled by the apostles in several places in this story first after they're released by the angel and commanded by the angel to go back to the temple and proclaim the gospel what did they do they do exactly that verse 21 tells us um, they when they heard this they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach they do the very thing that got them thrown in jail in the first place they proclaim the gospel they display a defiant commitment to God and his mission second when they were interrogated by the religious authorities when they demanded an explanation for why they broke the rules by preaching in the temple they responded with defiant commitment in verse 21 peter on behalf of the apostles began um, their response with these words he said we must obey god rather than men this is a statement rooted in the soil of defined commitment to God and his mission. And lastly, um, they displayed this type of commitment by continuing to share the gospel even after they were severely punished and banned from doing so. They were committed to God and no one else. Their allegiance to God took precedence over their obedience to the laws of the land. Did you guys hear that? Their allegiance to God took precedence over their obedience to the laws of the land. 
we must obey God rather than men. In fact, their actions can be viewed as civil disobedience. Civil disobedience, many of you know, is the refusal to comply with certain laws as a peaceful form of political protest, okay? And there are times, there will be times, they're coming when Christians can and are fine to partake in civil disobedience. DJ Atwood, in his book, Civil Disobedience, offers, offers two situations that might warrant civil disobedience from Christians. Look at them. He says, number one, when believers are required to deny their faith in Christ or explicitly disown their Lord. And number two, when the state has required Christians to take part in an action which is in clear conflict with their Christian with their Christianly informed conscience. Okay? These are two big categories he's providing um, to show us that there are times when Christians um, will be okay um, to practice civil disobedience. Um, the apostles' actions warranted civil disobedience because of their loyalty and commitment to God and his gospel. Um, look back at the history of Christianity and you'll find men and women who have displayed this kind of commitment to God and his mission. They have chosen to obey God rather than men. They stood their ground because of their love for Jesus Christ and as a result, they faced many dangers. Some of them were thrown to wild animals, locked up in jails, burned at the stake. Some were assassinated. Some were disowned and mocked and shamed. They displayed incredible moral courage in the face of severe hostility, all because they chose to obey God rather than men, choosing to live for God rather than the fleeting pleasures of this world. The apostles were men of defiant faith who faced increasing persecution because of their defiant commitment to the unstoppable mission of God. And so from the first ever Christians until now, many have chosen, many have chosen a defiant commitment to Jesus and his mission by choosing to obey God rather than men. To obey God rather than men. And for most of you listening to the voice of um, listening to me through Zoom right now, um, it, it's it, it like it, it's hard for us to understand because we live um, in a culture where we can practice our Christian faith without much restriction. Um, but what we do know is that increasing hostility and restrictions um, the restrictions for Christianity is increasing day by day there's gonna be times maybe in our generation maybe in the generation to come but I'm sure in our generation when um, we will be required to deny our faith and we'll be required to do things um, that are in clear conflict with our Christian faith and so my question is, um, will you obey God rather than men? Um, 
is this this statement of obey God rather than men is this the theme song of your life do you live in a way that communicates to the people around you now that you are fully committed to God or is your life better described as someone who is more obedient to men than to God are you someone who values the created things of this world rather than the creator God? Do you obey God rather than men or do you obey man rather than God? And I don't know your life. I don't know what's happening. But here's the word and we have the spirit to begin to show us areas in our life where we might not be in sync with God. Areas in our life where we may be obeying man rather than God. But our prayer, our pursuit, it's always to obey God rather than men. So who are you living for? Who are you living for? Lastly, God's mission is unstoppable because his missionaries rejoice in suffering. All right, look again at what happens in verse 40. It blows me away every time I see it. It says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and changed and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go and then look at how the apostles respond in verse 41 they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer this honor um, for the name in other words the apostles left the council rejoicing because God had considered them worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus they had been Given the honour of experiencing this honour because of Jesus. And why is that? Why is that? Because Jesus experienced this honour for them. And that was what motivated us. I love Hebrews 12. Um, chap um, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I absolutely love that. And uh, there are so many passages that communicate um, the joy um, of endurance. The joy that is set before him. And it's a promise that man we will suffer. And in times of suffering there is a possibility that God may grant to us joy in the midst of our suffering and if you look at there are so many stories in history um, that communicate this kind of joy even in suffering um, and so king's cross church um, may we be a church community that expect hostility we're hopeful in trial defiant in our commitment to christ and may God enable us to experience joy even in suffering because of him. Why? Because we serve a God who is unstoppable. Let's pray. God, thank you again for our time. Thank you for these reminders. Um, I pray 
I pray that you would take everything we've observed this morning and apply it to our hearts. And apply it to our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live for Christ. And remind us most importantly that no matter what obstacles come in our way, no matter what challenges we face, you are unstoppable. And there is nothing, not even death, not even death, that can get in the way of your plans and purposes. This is so true help us to believe this when we begin to entertain unbelief give us belief in jesus name we pray amen